Well, good morning, everyone. Such a delight to be with you this morning. And it's a little bit of the calm after the storm with all that we had this week. It was such an exciting week. If you didn't have a chance to peek in what was going on here, we just had a full week of children running around and activities and Bible lessons and singing and decorations. It was just really a, a great offering to the Lord. And thank you, church, for rallying so well around what we did this week and ministering to children and their families from our community. We, of course, pray that fruit will be enduring uh, from what we did this week. As you know, for a few weeks, we have been making available petitions, working with an organization called Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn. And we're going to bring our time on that to an end this week. So if you have not signed those petitions, please do so. We're going to encourage and help uh, Caring for Women to kind of move the process forward as they are collecting petitions from churches across Oroville. And so they're available out in the foyer. There's also a couple that are in the church office. Go ahead and sign it. If you have an Oroville address and you want to make it known that you want to stand with the, with the unborn uh, when we have all of the petitions collected, they'll be sent to a third party that works with sanctuary cities for the unborn, and at a time yet to be determined, but in the future, we will ask for uh, time with the city council to make a formal petition to have Oroville declared a sanctuary city for the unborn. And so we continue to pray for that cause. We rejoice that we have a new opportunity as God-fearing, life-loving people to minister grace and truth in many different situations as we seek to promote a pro-life culture in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our church, and as we pray God will soften the hearts of those that have been deceived by the abortion industry, that they would come to repentance and that there would be truly an awakening uh, towards the Lord and also a revival in the loving life. There's an old saying that goes something like this, I have suffered through many catastrophes in life the majority of which have never happened. It is estimated that as many as 90% of the things we worry about actually never come to pass. And yet anxiety is a real issue for many people. The diagnoses of anxiety disorders and treatment of the same is on the rise. And in some ways, it's a curious thing because never before have we had so much. Never before have we had such privileges and in some ways life being so easy. And yet it seems never have we spent so much time worrying about things. But anxiety is not a trivial matter. Anxiety is a very real issue that can emotionally paralyze believers and psychologically hinder them from growing in faith and obedience. And living as we do in a fallen world, Living as we do as people who are affected by Adam's rebellion against God, those that were born into sin, anxiety is something that we all suffer from, some more than others, some more often than others. That's true in the best of times. It can also be in the less favorable times like ones that we have gone through over the past few years. I think you'll agree as we look across the landscape of all that has happened over the past couple of years, we have become a world that is consumed by anxiety. We observe greedy behavior as people rush to the stores to hoard materials that they think they will need. 
We've fallen victim perhaps to alarmist emails or suddenly breaking news of warnings, many of which later proved to be untrue or at least unfounded. And they were all driven in part by anxiety. Well, of course, I don't want to minimize the importance of the struggle that many people are facing, but I think it helps us to take a larger and longer picture of things. We, in our history, as a relatively young country in the scheme of things, have been largely spared from many of the realities that most of the world has faced for much of human history. For much of human history, there's been a struggle for survival on a daily basis, an hourly basis, for the search for food, for shelter, for clothing, for the basics of life. And it's simply been the case that in every situation, in every family, in every culture, that where those things are threatened, there is fear, there is anxiety. Living as we did for a number of years in the Arab Middle East, it was rare that snow would come, but it would come. And when even just the hint of snow possibly coming was announced on the news, panic would hit the streets. Suddenly the grocery store shelves became empty overnight as people just ran out to hoard whatever they could find to ride out whatever snowstorm may or may not come. And when you think of the fact that the snow, when it would come, would often be gone within a couple of days, the sad reality was that much of what they had bought, that they had overbought, they would end up just throwing away afterwards. Well, we've seen that phenomenon even in our own situation over the past couple of years, marked by irrational buying or impulse buying based on uncertainty. And of course, radio programs that we hear warning about this or that or the other thing, and we need to put our trust in this or that or the other thing, play upon the fears that are part of our daily existence. But here we are. We are going through the challenges of modern life. And whether we might like to admit it or not, many are dealing with anxiety. And it might be that some in this room and some within the sound of my voice have been dealing with anxiety. I have a secret for you. So have I. At different times in my life, I have dealt with anxiety. And I've had to learn what it is to put my trust in the Lord. We worry about things like, will we be able to pay the rent? Will we be able to pay the bills each month? Will our kids be able to get their education? Will we keep our jobs? Will we be able to afford gas again? Will the fire season bring disaster to my home? Will there be another pandemic? And some of the things that we are anxious about today will not come to pass. Some may, however. And so how do we deal with anxiety that we may have today and tomorrow? Well, thankfully, our Lord Jesus Christ has something to say about this very issue. You recall that last week he reminded us that we cannot serve both God and money. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot have two master passions in our lives. And if we think of the context that in the time that Jesus was speaking, the majority of his listeners would have been poor, the lessons that he has for us today and the warnings against anxiety take on a deeper meaning. Jesus knows that the challenges of life are real. He entered into our humanity and walked with us and knows the struggles that we will face. But he also wants us to know about a Father in heaven who is not only aware of them, he is able to meet their needs. 
And so that brings us to a well-known passage this morning that we're going to take a fresh look at in light of what he's been teaching us through the Sermon on the Mount. Today we come to Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. And so I invite you to stand as we read this passage and as we prepare for what God will have for us today in our time in his holy word. And the eternal and holy word of God says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let us pray. Father, as you have given us this word and your Holy Spirit has seen fit to inspire it for our edification, would you help us to learn this morning? Would you be the God who ministers to our hurts and to our hearts? Would you be the one that leads us and teaches us as we look at your word this morning? As we sit at your feet and we ask you to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we begin today perhaps with a question. It's a rhetorical question. I know how we want to answer it, but we have to ask ourselves, how would we really answer it? And that is this. Do you trust God as your master? We talked last week that we can only serve one master, not two. In this well-known passage, Jesus will teach us about the doctrine of providence. The doctrine of providence is the manner in which God governs his universe. It's the manner in which he provides for the needs of his creation today and tomorrow. And as Pastor Brian reminded us, God is sovereignly in control of all things. He is also the one who calls and commands us to follow Jesus. The very one who commands us not to worry about the needs and things of this life. Now today, I will change things up just briefly from what I normally do. We are going to go through this passage, but we'll actually go through it a couple of times because Jesus has repeated himself a few times, and so we're going to arrange what he has said thematically. First, we're going to look at why anxiety is dangerous. Secondly, we'll look at why we do not need to be anxious and see that Jesus, in fact, commands us not to be so. Thirdly, we will look at what our response should be in the face of anxiety. 
and fourthly, conclude with some practical advice. So may the Lord guide us. Be pleased to bless this time as we seek his face. First, we begin with the ongoing challenge. Do not be anxious. The first thing we recognize is that Jesus says this is a very real issue. At least six times in this passage, the word anxiety or anxious appears. Jesus is warning us about the problem of anxiety. And as we find this passage where it is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the kingdom platform that Jesus lays out, how we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven under the new covenant, we see that he has strategically placed this right after he's talked about how we deal with material possessions. He's already instructed his disciples that they are to love their enemies, that they are to give generously, that they are are to pray to the Father and seek his will and his wisdom and his ways. And they're to think properly about money and physical resources. He warns them against hoarding, and he doesn't want them to be consumed by wealth, saying they cannot serve two masters. And so now he says, do not be anxious. As he does all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he wants us to turn our attention away from us, away from our ways of doing things, and put the focus on the Father, who alone is able to do something about our situation. And it's a reminder to us that if we focus only on earthly things, we will be consumed of earthly things and we will be bound by earthly things. But if we focus on heavenly things, we will gain proper perspective on earthly things. And I think this was perhaps part of what the Apostle Paul was teaching when he teaches this young church in Colossae and says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is a direct application of what Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. So he says, do not be anxious. And it hits all of us. Because we all have an anxious meter. And it moves throughout the week and throughout the day. And so here the Lord of life is saying, do not be anxious. And what's curious is that this is the same word that he used... When he was talking to Martha in Luke chapter 10, you recall the situation. She's overwhelmed. She's got a house full of guests. And she's trying to take care of the guests. And her her sister Mary is just not getting with the program. Not seeing what's going on. He says, oh Lord, tell her to help me out here. And notice the word that Jesus uses. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Jesus reminds us that the main thing is to spend time with him. The main thing is to trust in him. The main thing is to sit at his feet and let him teach us the ways of God. The main thing is to spend time with the bread of life instead of just running after daily bread. But not only is this struggle with anxiety real, so are the human needs that we have. And Jesus mentions them, food and drink and clothing. He mentions them a few times in this passage. He knows that they're real. He says the Father is aware of them. And so the problem is not that these realities are real, that anxiety is real. The problem is we're anxious about them. We worry about them. We lose perspective about them. For he goes on and says that our lives and our souls are worth more than just the material things we need and use in this life. And so he asks a rhetorical question. 
is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If, in fact, we have an immortal soul, and if, in fact, God is an eternal being, then yes, life, of course, is worth more than these things. And so the needs of the body should not consume the mind. Food and drink are wonderful servants, but they're terrible masters. And so Jesus wants to help us to find perspective in how we deal with these issues. He wants us to focus more on the provider than on our needed provisions. It's as if Jesus is saying, stop struggling over your survival. Stop pretending like you're in control of your life. Stop asking what you eat and drink and wear. Of course, those are normal questions that we might ask. The point is not that we shouldn't ask them. The point is asking them with the right attitude and the proper reflection on what it is that we're asking and of whom we are asking. We are to ask that those needs be met out of faith and out of hope, not out of fear and out of anxiety. He says, don't be anxious. That's what the unbelievers spend all their time doing, who act like there is no tomorrow. He's saying, if you are my disciples, if you are following me, you should be people of, not of anxiety, but of anticipation of a God who already has promised to meet your needs. So pray, give us this day our daily bread. You're not to be people of worry, but of wonder of a God who so takes care, even the birds of the air, that of course he will take care of those he created in his image. That we're not to be people of crises who run from one problem to the other, but people of Christ who rest firm in the one who alone can navigate us through the storms of life. And so we ask ourselves the question as our worry meter is going back and forth throughout the week, what really is accomplished by worrying? Can we worry ourselves to wealth and health and happiness? No, in fact, we know according to medical studies that anxiety can make us sick. That anxiety is a thief. It robs us of sleep. It robs us of joy. It robs us of peace. It makes us agitated and nervous and worried. We can't be at ease. We can't be at peace if we're anxious. So Jesus is reminding us then, since nothing good comes from it, stop it. He's aware of our weaknesses and still commands us all the same not to be anxious because he's reminding them the one in whose presence they are currently, him who left the throne of heaven to come and live among them to show the way back to God who is the Lord of life. He wants to turn our attentions again off of ourselves and onto the strength and provision of God. That's why he asks in chapter 6, verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? An old translation says, can add a cubit to his stature. Anxiety cannot make you bigger. It cannot make you taller. It cannot make you more successful in, in the social context. You cannot lengthen your existence through worry. Anxiety causes the blood pressure to rise. It creates problems in digestion. It causes a loss of sleep. It causes a host of other physical ailments. Anxiety clouds the mind, making it hard to pray, making it hard to focus on Scripture, making it hard to hear the voice of God through his written word. To quote Pastor James Merritt, worrying never solved a problem, 
never dried a tear, never lifted a burden, never removed an obstacle. It never made bad things good or good things better. It cannot add to the length of our lives. In fact, humanly speaking, it may shorten it. But even if it can't shorten it, because God has numbered our days, it will certainly steal from the quality of our lives. We can't be at peace and enjoy the deep fellowship with God when we're worried about things, many of which will actually never come to pass. But think as we worry about the energy that is drained away from us, the opportunities that are lost, the joy that is stolen, the peace that is forfeited, all because of anxiety. And at the end of the day, the root of it all is that we don't really trust God to take care of us. Anxiety and worry takes God out of the picture as if somehow, if it is to be, it is up to me. And yet we have a God who knows the beginning from the end, who knows all things, who does all things well. And he says, don't be anxious. If anxiety is not good for the physical body, it's not good for the spiritual body. And notice that painful expression that Jesus uses, oh, you of little faith. It shows up several times in the Gospel of Matthew. And each time it refers to disciples. It refers to believers who are failing to trust Jesus for their physical needs. And so we should take to heart what he says. But it gets even worse when he says that, in fact, if we are anxious, we are acting like unbelievers. In verses 31 and 32, he says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The Gentiles in this context are those who are outside of the kingdom of God. They are those who do not know God. But because they want need and want these things, they squabble and fight and race after them. And they run to and fro seeking solutions in something or anything other than God. And get angry when they do not find them. J. Arthur Rank was a English executive who knew that he was a worrywart. And he knew that it was affecting his business performance. It was affecting his personal relationships. And he said, I need to do something about it. So he, he said, I'm only going to worry about things one day a week. And so he created a worry box that he put in his office. And he chose Wednesday as his worry day. And so whenever anything during the week would start to worry him and he starts feeling the pressure, he would write it down and stick it in the worry box. And he'd do that throughout the week until the next Wednesday. But he said this, the interesting thing was that on the following Wednesday when I opened the box, I found that most of the things that had disturbed me the past six days were already settled. So it would have been pointless to worry about them. And I think there's a good lesson there for us. We are in good hands. We're in the hands of the Father who sent his Son and guides us by his spirit. And he says, do not be anxious. It's an ongoing challenge, but do not be anxious. Secondly, the ongoing promise, God will provide. One of the things I think we all love about Jesus is that he was a master storyteller. He would use practical examples from everyday life in his teaching. And he uses very practical examples in this wonderful passage. He uses what's called a lesser to greater argument. 
If what is true for a lesser thing, it'll be true then for the greater thing. So he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now in ancient Palestine, there were many types of birds, two dozen of which are mentioned in the Old Testament. And one commentator says that the place on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is preaching would have been at the crossroads of large migrations of birds. And so it's possible that even as he is giving this sermon, flocks of birds would be fluttering about, and he would point to them and say, look at them. They're not worried. God takes care of them. But we don't misunderstand what God is saying because birds don't just sit in their nests, point their heads up to heaven, open their mouths, and just wait for God to drop it in. Now we look at birds. They're active. They're not lazy. They're working hard to build the nest and gather the food. But they do so because there's trust. They know that their creator will take care of them. In their little tiny brains, they understand that the Creator will take care of them. You know, sometimes we might hear as an insult, well, somebody is a, is a bird brain. In this case, that's not a bad thing. Because they trust God. In a simple poem, Elizabeth Cheney, not related to anyone of current uh, political endeavors, wrote a poem about the birds, an imaginary conversation between the birds. She said this, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, but their heavenly father feeds them. We can trust our God. He gives us the strength, yes. He gives us opportunities, yes. He provides for us. But we do not have to be anxious because a person's survival depends on divine sovereignty, not on human anxiety. And so as Jesus continues in chapter 6, he said, Are you not of more value than they? And he answers, Yes, of course we are worth more value than the birds. We're created in the image of God. We have an eternal soul. We are able to enter into relationship with the eternal God and know him forever. This is a profoundly pro-life message. That humans are worth more than birds and animals and insects and fish. And all those things glorify God. But it is ultimately human beings who are the objects of redemption. And as we talk about building a pro-life culture, we want to introduce the intelligence and rationality and logic of God so that we no longer live in a culture where it's okay to kill a human baby, but you go to jail if you kill a baby eagle. Christians, your father loves you and delights in taking care of you. And so listen to him when he says, do not be anxious. We, we confess in our statements of faith, we sing in our hymns, we see it in the scriptures that Christ is over all, but how often do we live as if that's really true? Of course, if the birds build the nests, the birds gather the food. So our, our Heavenly Father promises that he will provide for us, but he also says, work, 
And so we should be the best workers, the hardest workers, the most efficient workers, the most effective workers, because we see work now as an offering of worship to our God. Paul says, if you won't work, you won't eat. But if you work, God will bless the works of your hands. So we do not need to be anxious. Because our Lord Jesus said, the Father provides for the birds today and tomorrow. And Jesus is still Lord overall. After he addresses the issue of the birds of the air and the issues of food and drink, he now talks about clothing. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And the word lilies here can be translated as wild flowers and is in other places. What I, what I see when I look at creation is God loves beauty. God loves balance and majesty and harmony and how he builds his creation and takes care of it. Many of us have had the opportunity to go up on Table Mountain when the flowers are in bloom and how beautiful it is. Or the flowers are on Lake Oroville when the purple flowers come out and how beautiful it is as we look across the, the landscape. What do the flowers do? Well, they don't really work per se. They, they just sit in the ground. They receive the warmth of the sun, the rains of the heavens, and they grow. We're told they do not spin. They don't make their own clothes. And yet Jesus said, look how beautiful they are. Not even the great King Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. They're beautiful, the flowers, but they only last a few weeks. But if they're beautiful... Through no work of their own and God takes care of them, of course the next question is, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? If God takes care of that which is ephemeral, which passes away quickly, such as flowers and grass, will he not take care of you, whom he has chosen and saved and set apart to live forever? So don't be anxious Literally, do not agitate yourselves, O oh, you of little faith. How dreadful to hear such words. Would we hear them today? As we live our daily lives, as we balance our life schedules and responsibilities, as we arrange the time in our calendars and the budgets of our bank accounts, Jesus is saying, look at what the Father does in creation taking care of these simple birds and these simple flowers and then consider what he can do for you. Let creation, my friends, in your own life declare the glory of God. See the glory of and provision of God as you look at creation and how he takes care of all aspects of it. And then when you listen to the testimony of creation, consider the one who is speaking here, who is the agent of creation through whom all things were created and it is that one who commands us to not be anxious. Because he says your heavenly father knows that you need them all. When we went through this, the, the Lord's prayer, we asked the question, why do we pray? Well, we pray because we're commanded to pray. Well, we pray because we need to pray. Well, we pray because prayer is a way we nurture our relationship with God. And we pray because he's the only one who can do something about it. Our steadfast assurance that doesn't change. And we can go to him and pray to him about any time, about anything. And so we can pray with great faith. Give us this day our daily bread. 
because he has already promised that he will provide. And praying in this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we pray for his glory, he has promised to meet our needs. But he says, but it's going to be in my time and in my ways, and you're going to find that my ways and my timing is better than yours. So trust me, because we have the ongoing promise God will provide. Thirdly, we have the ongoing needs, seek and receive. Therefore, Jesus says, do not be anxious, do not be troubled. And we see these types of commands all throughout Scripture and certainly several times in this passage itself. Do not be troubled. He starts out the passage by saying, therefore, because you cannot serve two masters, therefore, do not be anxious. And he, he lays out the groundwork for who God is. And now he says, do not be anxious and gives the solution in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're created to be seekers because we're created to work. We're created to be involved in the process of providing for our families and of growing and developing. But where are we seeking these things? From whom are we seeking these things? And why are we seeking these things? We're not like the people of Jesus' day, the Gentiles that surrounded the people of Israel who worshipped a plethora of gods. And they would offer sacrifices in the hope that these gods would pay attention to them and listen. We have not such a God. We have a great God who has commanded us to pray and say, not only will he listen, he will answer, so ask away. And it gives us confidence. We need not be like the unbelievers who run after these things in worry and fret and anxiety. But one of the characteristics of believers that I have found everywhere that I have done ministry is people need to be reminded of this, this essential truth of trusting God moment by moment because I find far too many believers live as practical atheists. They give lip service to God. Oh, I believe in God. They go even go through perfunctory practices of religion. But when it comes time to actually organizing their lives, they live as if God doesn't exist. And Jesus says, no. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's a command, this ongoing, active, continuous command to seek God in every situation, in every place. And the word here means of first importance, of highest importance, not just first in a sequence of events. So it means at each moment of the day, as we're reflecting, we're seeking him first of highest importance. And that's why we can pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, because we want his will, his ways, for the worship of him, for his glory. Oh, Father, your will. Only, always, and nothing else. But if we look at our daily reactions and what we're programmed by our culture to do, and even maybe perhaps in training that we have received or not have received, how often is it that we seek God as a first impulse instead of as a last resort? We work hard to be our own saviors, to be our own solutions, to settle everything in our own strength. And only when we run at the end of our resources do we say, oh God, would you help us? Jesus says, no, that's backwards. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
and his righteousness, who he is and his character, his conduct, his truth, his nature. Of course, this is a, a righteousness, a holiness that is given to us in Christ. But as we grow in obedience, in love, in service, we actually start to become righteous in our behavior. We become in our practice what we are declared in our position. And so we seek to be more like God in his righteousness and his holiness, all the while confessing that ultimately is a righteousness that comes from God, as Paul warned the church in, or, or taught the church in Philippi, and being found in him, Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends upon faith. Our greatest need is not the problems that we think we face. Our greatest need is to become more like Christ, to grow in righteousness and holiness, to be in his presence. That's why we seek first the kingdom of God, and then, and then, these things will be added unto you. What things? The things that we're tempted to run after, food and clothing and drink, the needs of life. And what we find is we can trust God. That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying here. We can trust the Father because he's not capricious and he's not temperamental like the gods of the Gentiles, the gods of the pagans. He's a loving and ever faithful God. So seek him first. As one commentator summarized, I like how he put it. He said, if we make God's business ours, he will make our business his, and he's never failed at business. It's a good investment to invest in the things of God, to invest in God, to build your relationship in God. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He, he finishes this passage like he began it. Do not be anxious. It's a command, not a suggestion. I often have to, in my own prayer life, I have to first confess my sins of worry or of lack of faith. Father, forgive me for not believing you. Forgive me for worrying. Forgive me for the sin of unbelief because I t I'm tempted to want to do everything in my own power. Jesus says, don't worry about today because God takes care of the birds. He'll take care of you. Don't worry about tomorrow because all you have is today. You're not even promised tomorrow, so don't worry about tomorrow. But worry about today as you give everything to God because each day God gives us what we need. He gives us grace and strength for what is before us. But here's part of our problem. We want to use today's grace for tomorrow's worries or yesterday's problems. Saying, no, he gives us our daily bread, physically and spiritually. He gives us today what we need for today. And so as the poet says, cast forbidding cares away, God provideth for today. And so if we're today giving everything to the Lord and trusting in him, there's no need to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will be another today in which to trust the Lord. So accept today's grace for today's problems. And when tomorrow arrives, there will be new grace and new mercies to meet it. A little faith causes worry to flee.
He knows that his ways are best, so he says, seek him first. And those who have found that the Lord is their greatest treasure know that they can trust in the Lord to provide all that they need. That is why he taught us how to pray. So what are some practical ways then that we can do that? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How do we seek God? We've already looked at the ongoing challenge, do not be anxious. The ongoing promise, God will provide. The ongoing need, seek and receive. How can we practically seek God? Because I do believe that we're to plan, we're to prepare, we're to pray. But we're to plan and pray with wisdom, with expectation that God will keep his word and meet us in our needs. And so we plant the crops. We build the plant. We engage in activities of life. But we know that it is God who gives us the strength to do these things. So how then do we seek him first? Well, I think the first thing is we recognize our weakness and we confess our sins. Because we've all worried. We've all been anxious. We've all fretted. We've all doubted God. And Jesus says those things dishonor him, his father. And so don't try to psychologize them away, explain them away, admit what they are. Lack of trust and unbelief and just confess them as sin. He's a great savior. Go to him with your sin. And as you confess, you recognize he's coming and saying, yes, I can deal with that. I've already sent my son for that son, for that sin. And I offer my forgiveness. Now, there's a difference between you of little faith and you of no faith. The you of little faith was given to believers. We talked about believers. But that's a deficient faith, and it's a faith that needs to grow. Don't stay in that category, you of little faith, but grow in your understanding of who God is and what he promises in his word so that you will not worry. And it will not come by looking at yourself. Spiritual growth does not come by internal introspection, by analyzing everything that we do wrong and how we fall short. Growth in the Christian life and an understanding comes in focusing on Christ and his ability and his sufficiency and what he has already done and what he promises to do. And as our eyes are on him, we see better the things that are around us. So we begin, we just confess our sins as a daily way of life, knowing that we need the constant grace of Christ in our lives. Secondly, listen to the right voices. We need the word of God more than we need the word of any other person. The only true expert is God himself. So listen to the word of God. Listen to good worship music. Find a good radio station that will give good news. And do not listen to talk radio all day. Don't watch cable news all day. They just feed your fears. They feed your anxieties. Listen to the right voices. The only real news and true news that's happening today is what God is doing. And my friends, if we will have eyes to see it, God is doing wonderfully amazing things all around the world, including around us. So look for it. Look for those items of good news and listen to the right voices. Feed your faith, not your fears. 
Thirdly, pray, and then pray some more. Because as we've said, prayer is spending time with the Father. It's making His will and His ways our priority. So we pray according to the Lord's Prayer. We pray according to the priorities in Scripture. And we pray that your will and your plans be done, not mine. And so it's helpful then for us to use the words of God to help formulate our own words in prayer. So pray through the Psalms, pray through the Ten Commandments, pray through the uh, different uh, passages that have been meaningful to you so that you grow in faith about what God has said about himself and what he promises to do. And spend time talking, as I said, with the one who can actually solve our problems because he promises to do so. And then lastly, give thanks. A heart that is free from worry is one that often thanks God. And then the heart that often thanks God finds that it often is free from worry. Solomon says that a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. It is the will of God that we have a cheerful heart, a heart that is constantly giving thanks, that we can trust him, thanks that he is providing, thanks that he will be with us, thanks that he will protect us, thanks that his ways are good. Now, even as we go over this simple list this morning, I know that most of us already know this. We could have put this in our own list before the service started. I know that. I also know that we need reminders. We need reminders of what is true. And so these are just gentle reminders of how we can have that heart full of gratitude that trusts the Lord, defeats anxiety as it continues to seek God. And so I, before we get to the application, I include with a quote from Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China, one of the fathers of the modern missionary movement, a great man of faith who, because he believed God for great things, saw God do great things. And I just want to read the full part of one of his challenges to his people. Only a part of it will be on the screen. He said, let us give up our work our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all. Put them right into God's hands. And then, when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. It's good advice. And it follows what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6. Well, next week, the Sermon on the Mount will take a little different turn as it's moving from what is the individual Christian practice or the practice of God's people in the kingdom of heaven to now how do they interact with others. But until that time, what are some application points that we might learn from today? Looking at how God provides for the simplest creatures in the world, we will trust him to feed and clothe us as well. We can trust him. Secondly, because God knows what we need, we will go to him and boldly ask him to provide what we need today and then each day. And with faith, we will say, give us this day our daily bread and we will trust him and then we will give thanks when he provides. Thirdly, because God has commanded us to not be anxious, we will confess our sins to him and turn to him when our hearts and minds begin to worry. And they will, and they will this week. And then maybe even this afternoon. And so this, that's the exact time when we say, no, Lord, you've commanded me not to worry. 
forgive me from this sin. Strengthen me to trust you. And because he is the source of all life, we ask for his power to seek him as our highest priority each day. You've heard me say this before. I say it again. I was struck deeply by this by a seminary professor. He told me one time, if you do nothing else today but spend time with God, it's been a good day because you've touched eternity. So our work, our plans, our projects, our programs flow out of our relationship with God. And lastly, because he is ever faithful, we will trust him today and not be anxious about he will provide for us tomorrow. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the reminder that if you care for the lowliest of creatures and you delight over them, how much more do you provide for those you created in your image and over whom you delight so much that you sent your son? And so, Father, forgive us for those times that we disbelieve, that we struggle with doubt, that we do not trust you, that we are impulsive instead of being sensitive to the guidance of your spirit. But thank you for a lavish gospel that rushes in and pours out forgiveness and grace. And so, Father, continue to lift us up after we have fallen. And as we return to you, continue to guide us and grow our faith that we will trust you for the things that you have already promised to give to us. And then help us to be the first to give you thanks when you do. Father, help us by your Spirit to defeat anxiety in our lives as we grow in our dependence and love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.